Hey, it's Swing Pass. It's Tuesday, August 10th. We just got through week 10 of the 12-week regular season schedule here in 2021 AUDL. I'm Adam Ruffner, and I'm joined as always by Daniel Cohen. Daniel, how's it going? It's going good. Um, got a few few predictions wrong this past weekend. Did not see oh. the Austin oh, I loss. Oh, yeah. Happening. <laughs> Yeah, you were a little but, uh, high. On, you were a little high on Austin for the past. Well, past... I was high on Austin, but also just kind of low on Dallas. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, it was a good game. It was very close. I'm yeah. still very proud of Austin and, and their whole season. I'm uh, glad your stepson yeah. team brought you much pride. <laughs> they did. They did. I'm still going to be a Soul fan uh, for years to come because yeah, they're just a, they're a fun underdog team to root for. They really are. Yeah, they they should be really proud of the season they had, even though they just barely missed a playoff spot. So do you wanna do you wanna start with Austin Dallas and then kind of get to maybe the slightly more main course, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, hey, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, we'll start with Austin Dallas. I mean, that was it's, it was still a game that decided a playoff spot in the West. Oh, division. absolutely, this was still it was like a really yeah, still a main event of the weekend. Dallas. Dallas goes to Austin in week 10. Uh, they're 7-4, and four, Austin 6-5. and five. But if Austin would have won, they would have claimed the second seed in the West, the final playoff spot. Um, Austin obviously showing that they can beat Dallas twice this season. Very competitive with their in-state rivals. And then back and forth game throughout. Uh, kind of just came down to the fundamental sort of brass tacks identity of these teams were Dallas has been in this situation before and Austin hasn't and Austin kind of couldn't quite get the edge down the stretch and Dallas persevered 23 to 22 on the road. And like you were saying, like Austin looked really impressive. They made a lot of really good plays in that game, but playmaking doesn't necessarily wing you games. I think the soul team has been one of the most entertaining like on the field products in the AUDL in 2021 by like a margin. Yeah. Like if I had to, if I had to rank like AUDL watchability on like AUDL.tv, Soul would be <laughs> yeah. probably top they're five. Like they, they're just a fun team to watch. I totally agree with you. Like Swiatek and Broadbeck are ballers. Like they're just really fun guys to watch on offense. Same with Starkle. Uh, they've got a bunch of young playmakers and defense that we've talked about all season, but it was again, just like the roughnecks, like, they made plays on defense and then they just had a couple of those grind it out, get a couple of quick breaks, Dallas possessions yeah. that they do. Yeah, they they did better in the breaks department. I mean, they they were seven of thirteen. Austin was just five of twelve. I mean, both teams had their opportunities. They're like Let's talk about Mick, Mick Walter for a second. Oh, man. Seven blocks yeah, in what was Mick essentially Wal- a playoff game. It's it's uh, like sad unreal. that we can't call this the Mick Walter game. Like, I honestly, know. Like, uh, se- okay, like I just, I, I'm sorry. I know I talked a lot already, but like the seven blocks thing is like really near and dear to me because I've been covering the Midwest and Central Division, you know, for since I joined this league. And like, there's a lot of inflated blocks numbers in that division due to various opponents so we're not going to name uh but like you know madison players like meshnik in particular has had a couple of like six seven block games and like you see those numbers and you go whoa and then you look at the tape and a lot of times there's like two to three good plays 
And other than that, it's sort of an offense throwing to somebody in an ad- in an advantage spot in a defensive structure, right? Like a, mm-hmm. a zone or something. Uh, that wasn't Mick Walter this past weekend. Mick Walter no. was like blitzing from the offside, throwing his six foot six foot or six inch frame around in the handler space, getting huge layout blocks on Chris Mazer. Like he was a yeah, mad he man. shut <laughs> he kind of shut down Mazer a lot of the time in the handler space, and just the you know like any floaty throw, he just had the the closing speed and instincts to pounce on those. I don't think. I mean, we don't have these stats readily available, but I would bet, you know, a single player getting seven blocks against Dallas. I'm sure that's never happened before. I feel like I'd be willing oh, to bet no, that there's no. not even a player that got five blocks against a team like Dallas. that has been so historically just like clean and, you know, like they, they just wouldn't let a, a defensive player have that kind of standout performance. But yeah, it just it, felt like they couldn't, they couldn't do much about Mick. I mean, he had, what was it like four blocks in the second quarter? He had a couple or like three blocks down the stretch in the fourth quarter, just trying to oh, it, will Austin the, to a win. He had the best block yeah. of the game with a minute left where he blitzed from out yeah. off of the screen. He like saw a lane pass go off and he just <laughs> read it like as it was coming yeah. out of the hand of the thrower and just swats it down picks it up throws the assists and austin is only down oh, one and then dallas just kind of ran out the clock after that like mick walter oh, was super close yeah. to bringing him back and like this is so you say that nobody has gotten this many blocks mick walter did this before when austin first beat dallas in week two of 2019 the first time they ever beat the roughnecks it was a Mick Walter game where he was just, it was windy in that game. So his, his size definitely played into it, but he had, I think four or five blocks in that game. It was just a presence defensively for the soul. Like he, he is absolutely the uh, key sort of infinity stone as far as like Austin's rivalry with Dallas. Like he just takes it to another level. I, yeah, he had four blocks in the second quarter and it was like the funniest stat line. He had like, negative yardage in every other category <laughs> and then yeah. just four blocks it was like no fun ultimate like mick is just gonna come out there and just slap the disc down and nobody else gets to do anything like i love that <laughs> yeah that's awesome it's, he is now like the he is the aud blocks leader right now and yeah that performance that put him at 23 for the season oh man so he's done he's done with games austin has played all 12 of their games uh Halsmeyer's in second with 20 blocks kps in third with 19 blocks but just one game left so um, I, I tweeted this and they mentioned it on the broadcast and it needs to be a, like pinned yes. to this story of his game is that <laughs> before the season mick walter had a consultation with doctors plural i think according to the sole broadcast uh he met with doctors who told him his hip had degenerated to a point where he maybe couldn't play it all this season. And then he finishes 12 game stretch. I don't know if he played all 12 games, but he finishes the season with a career high 23 blocks and a seven goal <laughs> performance against a very good Dallas team. Like, I remember talking to, to their GM, Patrick Christmas, and he, yeah, he made it sound like. Mick wasn't really expected to play much, if at all, this year. Like, there was definitely concern over the injury. And, yeah, 
I to do what he just did, you know, in the last game of the season, but also all season long. I mean, he's quietly had yeah. a very, very productive year. Uh, oh, also, Austin I, Austin leads the league in in blocks per game. I'm pretty sure too. Just their defense as a whole, uh, and he has definitely been the centerpiece of all that. Yeah, but um, you know, all the credit to him. But sort of switching to the winning team, that was probably Dallas's best game of the season. No, I, I you know, it's still just a one goal uh... win. It's still maybe not where we expected them to be, quote unquote. But they converted when they needed to. Uh, the Gabe Hernandez Chris Mazur throwing combination makes the Roughnecks look like. A, a version of what they wanted to going into 2021 you know it's not it's not mm-hmm. Co- coffin dalton but it's it's definitely a very good throwing backfield and they did put up 23 points um and i think the real star in the night was the defense and they got a couple of players back in particular with kai marshall and zach marbach who made big big blocks in this game and adding two defenders to a defense that was already playing pretty well, I think is really going to make a difference for this Dallas team as they head into the postseason now. Um, yeah, I, they they have a lot of a lot of these good, you know, high intensity, momentum swinging defenders. Um, but I don't know. To your point about the best game of the season, like they they were up, I think eight three at one point. They outscored the Soul six to three in the first quarter. I think they started the second quarter with two scores in a row. Uh, and then, but from quarters two through four, Austin outscored them 19 to seven or 19 to 17. What does that I mean believe. when Dallas won the game though? Like, like I, well, I, 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 I just mean like, I, my point is I think for the majority of the game, it felt like the soul were playing better. It was just like a, a slow start to the first quarter and a fast start by Dallas, like nothing, not taking anything away from them. But it did feel like Dallas kind of, they could have kind of run away with the game, but Austin sort of crept back into it. Um, I don't, obviously, it's like, just a one goal win. I don't understand that logic because you are the king chief bandwagon person of Austin is a pretty good team. So if yes. Dallas beats them, like, isn't that just sort of. Yeah, they played a great game. That they're a good team. Like, the, like Austin is just, at home, they're going to make a run. Yeah, Austin played a, a better game for three of the four quarters. But Dallas won. Feels like a win's a win. That feels like weird sandbagging. I I'm still I'm not totally sold on Dallas yet. I'll, yeah, I'll I get I know. Oh, are you not sold on Dallas yet? I get that not you're not sold, sold on, on them. Dallas. They're the exact same record they were heading into the twenty nineteen playoffs when they reached their, you know third straight championship game appearance. I like, know. I know. Dallas. I'm still like, but I still you... just think back. Cause I think back to games like, like the 2019 South division championship game against Raleigh when they just stomped them like from the start and just like Raleigh never had a chance of coming back. This felt like, you know, a lot more, a lot more back and forth. And it felt like, I don't know. Maybe they didn't let Austin back into the game. Okay, hold on one second. Dallas did not stomp them. Raleigh Raleigh was within two goals at some point, like midway through the third, if not towards the end of the third quarter. Dallas, I think, led wire to wire, but Raleigh definitely like came back at times. They just couldn't slow down Abe Coffin. But like that game wasn't as big a blowout, I think, as you're 
trying to make it out. Yeah, no, not a blowout. I don't know. It just felt it felt pretty decisive from start to finish. Whereas this one, it felt like, I mean, they they have, they also might have led this one. Um, so Dallas the entire time, but yeah, I don't Dallas know. It just felt like Austin could have been put away uh, earlier, if that makes any sense. So then I'll ask you, like, Dallas now has one more game before they can reach their fourth straight uh, championship Fifth, weekend. Right? Fifth. Yeah, 16, yeah. 17, 18, 19, and 2021. Yep, yep. fifth straight championship weekend. They have to face a Grawlers team that they beat last time, and they're probably going to have a slightly better lineup in their playoff game. Um, do you like Dallas against San Diego? San Diego is going to be hosting. Yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> I I don't I know. expect I, you to know now. It's going to be a few weeks before they face off, and who knows right. what happens with injuries. Yeah, and I mean recovery. San Diego. I feel like I feel like San Diego could kind of hit their stride and get in rhythm as we close the season. You know, they have one more game against LA, one against San Diego or San Jose. Um, Is that it for them? Yeah, just two games left. And they won pretty decisively against LA this past weekend, 24-17. I don't know. I feel like, like I've been saying for, for weeks and kind of the whole season, I feel like we haven't seen the best Dallas roster, the best, San Diego or not roster but game like I just feel like neither team has played such a complete game that we've seen them at their full potential so it'll be interesting I just feel like the the playoff game is going to be very much like a a streaky whoever whatever team is hot and like can stay hot is going to win that game I could see I, I think right now I might I might lean Dallas slightly because as much as I am skeptical of them I do think it it is very possible we see a repeat of you know their 2019 trajectory where they just have this ability to to turn it on late in the season and into the postseason and pull out close game wins so we'll see I don't know do you lean Dallas or San Diego at this point I think it's Dallas especially with the return of a couple of those defenders. Like I said, like Marbach made a poach block uh, in the end zone on Austin. That was really, really impressive. Just as far as like, it was a smart IQ play combined with athleticism and reminds you that they just have guys like that up and down the roster. And I think having Mm -hmm. presences like that defensively going into the postseason is just so, so vital. And then, Coupling with that, this emergence of Hunter Taylor as one of the best hammer throwers. <laughs> I was going to bring that up. What, uh, is, what is the deal? How is three, that? He's come out of he, nowhere, seemingly. So he's sort of like... He's well, he's been doing it all season. This season, this season yeah. he has the range. Uh, yes. But I think a couple times in the past, he's like kind of brought it out once or twice in a game and it's like oh there's a nice hammer by hunter taylor but this season he's like in rhythm throwing 40 yard darts to people for break conversions and he threw three of them against austin that and the last one was a backbreaker like it was 50 yards on the fly to ben nelson like over the back shoulder uh it coupling with him with larberg off of the turn it just gives you Dylan Larberg, like it just it gives Dallas a punch on that counterattack all of a sudden where they're a pretty good offense defensively. 
and you add that to a defense that's already top eight, ten takeaways per game, like that's scary. And it looks like like you're talking about like San Diego, we haven't seen the best version of them. I think the same goes for this Dallas defense. Like it's getting again, like Marbach and Kai Marshall back, arguably two of their top five defenders. Um, Mm -hmm. It's getting Hunter Taylor kind of in a more consistent role in this counterattack off of it. They've still got Mason Wunsch and Ben Lewis playing really well. Chris Larberg is playing a little bit uh, more these days too. He was kind of a mid season roster addition. Obviously he's been on this team since 2016. He's one of the original roughnecks, but he hasn't played a whole bunch this season, but he made a huge help block deep on Saturday night and is just one of those guys who I think, you always want to have in your defensive rotation at this point. Like he's, he's a glue guy. He's a great character team guy. He gives you the Beyblade celebration when he scores goals. Like, <laughs> is that know, what that at, is? It's a Beyblade oh, yeah. celebration. Oh, it's the Beyblade man. Come on. He's been doing it. I That's had like one of the most consistent celebrations in the league is the Chris Larberg. No, oh, I know. I never knew what it was. I had Beyblades like the actual, object but it was also a show right see i'm too show? old i'm too old for that i just know the celebration is the beyblade but what does that mean so the celebration must be from it must be from the show i want to say there's a beyblade probably show. really into beyblades we could ask well, i know him. but the ce- can... but the celebration has to come from something it wasn't just a toy it was like yeah it was a show i just i googled it so it, it must be from the show <laughs> uh okay yeah i knew i knew he has one of the most you know signature celebrations in the league and i i knew what it was and i've seen many photos of it but i did not know what it was from so yeah cool cool throwback to beyblade yeah but anyways i digress i i just really like the direction the dallas defense is trending in uh and again getting back dalton smith like uh we even talked about him uh he made a couple of really good throws on saturday that led to scores or were assists and he seems to be working back more into his you know true form and he was playing mostly d-line too right 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 and so they're still adding these pieces that i think would be major major additions if we were talking about you know free agency in the offseason hey you get to add marbach kai marshall and dalton smith to your lineup any team the league (laughs) over uh at the like eight game mark of the season would you do it it's like immediate yes you know so i i don't think you can discount that for the this roughnecks team as we go into the post no and and especially like they now get time to recuperate like they've been so banged up this season and now they finish at the beginning of august it's still a month until championship weekend they have one more game against san diego for the playoffs uh that that kind of favors them i feel like like that's a really good situation for dallas now yeah i i mean my my issue with them has never been the the talent and obviously their roster is more loaded at this point than it has been at any other point in the season it's just i always i always come back to chemistry and like how well these guys play together and guys having clearly established roles instead of, you know, basically switching them up week to week and seeing what sticks, like, it is now time that you gotta, like, guys have to slot into their roles, and, like, they have to be playing to their best uh, in those specific spots. And I just feel like, I feel like I, I'm not yet sold on 
on Dallas having that consistent lineup that isn't going to move much. But I, I hope for their sake it, it doesn't move much. I hope, I hope they keep with what they have and, and let guys get in a rhythm in their spots. Um, so we'll see. But yeah, I, I think I lean slightly towards Dallas when it comes to that playoff game against San Diego, but should be close. Hoping for another one-goal game either way. All right, I'm getting out the big cane. I'm dragging this West Division talk off the stage, and I'm prepping for the actual main event. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess we can do a slight little like uh, interlude. The the Raleigh at Boston game on Friday night, the Friday night ultimate matchup. That was a really good game. Uh, Boston got out to an early lead. I thought they played their best defense of the season. Um, Alex Bullock got a big block early. He's been playing, or Dean Bullock, he's been playing really well this year. Uh, they were able to convert. They, they pressured Raleigh pretty well. Um, but Raleigh's offense continued to execute. Uh, that, that midfield combo, again, of Alan LaViolette and Anders Jungs just did work throughout the game. And Noah Salt came up with a couple of huge defensive plays at the end, as he's kind of prone to do two to three games a season it feels like he's just that veteran guy who will go out and wing you something in the fourth quarter uh he did his role and then raleigh closes it out 1918 in boston uh i i thought raleigh looked really good coming off of that game i thought that was a really impressive road win as like an opener knowing they had new york the next night i thought that was like focus i thought their offense did a couple of really nice uh, drives. They got Eric Taylor back, obviously. That helped a ton. Um, he played really well, returning after like a month off from injury. Uh, yeah, I, I really liked Raleigh. What did you like about that Raleigh-Boston game? Yeah, I felt like Raleigh started off a little slow offensively. Like you mentioned, Boston had that, that big layout block. I think it was on the first or second point um, mm-hmm. and kind of set the tone early in that way, but... It felt like Raleigh's offense just clicked more and more as the game went on. Uh, whereas Boston, Raleigh just kind of outlasted Boston. Like Boston was looking really efficient early on, but I don't know. It's kind of the second time we've seen them falter a bit towards the end of the game. Like uh, the Atlanta game comes back to mind where they were kind of in position to beat Atlanta heading into the fourth quarter. And then the Atlanta zone just kind of shut them down. Uh, it felt like they. Boston just made a few too many mistakes in that fourth quarter uh, and Raleigh just continued to roll offensively. I did like a lot the, the return of Tanner Johnson to the Boston roster. He had played one game this season, just the first week against Pittsburgh and returned to the lineup basically in a primary handler role. Like it was basically him and Ben Sadok working together in the backfield most points um and just like that that combo of having a big lanky you know six four six four guy but you know not like like he's still quick and still able to move uh and obviously has throws but you combine that with like little ben sadok who's quick and and shifty uh it was a really nice not really a thunder lightning approach i'm trying to compare it to, you know, like one of those NFL backfields that has a big running back and a small running back. Because um, I, don't, I don't really think of Tanner Johnson as thunder necessarily. But anyway, point still stands. I like the combo. 
big handler, small handler. Uh, they played really well together, and I felt like they kind of made that whole offense better um, playing at the same time. So definitely, I like the prospects for Boston going forward, just as a as a offense and just kind of as a team in their first year. Like they they seem to be in a pretty good spot. Obviously, I don't think they'll make the playoffs this year. They have a very outside chance at this point. But, you know, they've proven time and time again, like they can compete with the best teams in this division. So nice takeaways for Boston. Obviously, couldn't quite close it out. Um, And yeah, I just think the Raleigh offense has proven, you know, over their last seven, eight games that like they are one of the, if not the best offense in the league. Uh, and they really haven't showed any signs of slowing down. Yeah, I I think Boston is very much an expansion team. I think they've kind of demonstrated that this yeah. year. Like that's that's sort of the Achilles heel. Like we can talk any about a lot of individual aspects of why these losses occur, but it's kind of generally under, covered underneath the umbrella of they're just kind of getting their feet in this league. Like fourth quarter slowdowns. Like one of the things that I've really noticed is that they almost play too small. You know, the the mm-hmm. Tanner Johnson, Sadok, uh, Babcock, you know, Jake Taylor backfield is obviously super talented. And when it's working, it looks like a well-oiled machine when they're running through their end zone sets and stuff. But they had one of four hucks against Raleigh. And obviously Raleigh has very good deep defenders and David Richardson and Connor Russell has returned to the lineup as well. And he's a huge part of their defensive plan. But Austin glory has receivers that can test the deep space. They have throwers that can test the deep space. Like I feel like they got to stretch that field a little. And yeah. you could see Raleigh really like when they were clicking, that was a part of it. They started to get the disc out into space to Terrence Mitchell in space to Jake, Jacob Fairfax. Like each of those mm-hmm. guys made huge grabs uh, downfield in the stretch of the game. And yeah, and, it like, felt it like really- Raleigh, Raleigh's a team that's always looking to open up the field for those hucks, but Boston was kind of content just moving the disc between handlers. Yeah, and it's like the same problem that Madison had. Like, you can't just yeah. like as much as it is about efficiency and and getting those those really solid looking drives. You can't just be content with those either. Like, mm-hmm. that's kind of been revealed this season too. Like. You can have like a high completion offense like Boston still completed 95% of their passes. They only had 14 turnovers as a team, but they only scored 18 goals and they lost, you know, like you need to, I think, have the at least ability to put that opposing defense on its heels, you know, and then again, like. I'm not trying to just blame it on like Boston, but like Raleigh played a good game defensively and they've been doing that lately too. Yeah. Like they've, they've played well defensively of late, especially, you know, up until that point in their seven game winning streak. Yeah. They, but then, they do have a good defense. They did a really good job on Tanner Halkyard also. Uh, yes. They were kind of using a combo. I saw Alex Davis covering him at times and like was surprisingly shutting him down. Yeah. McAllister did a great job and he's, Definitely one of those more physical defenders that feels like a natural fit um, to take on a guy like Halkyard. But yeah, I, I definitely think Raleigh defense deserves its credit. I wonder if the Boston approach of using Tanner Johnson in the backfield was more of like a easing him back in from injury and, and not asking him to 
do much field stretching. Maybe just it's not even that I don't like that. Like that worked when he played. I know too. But it would be nice if he got downfield more. I think even just allowing him the ability to release from the backfield and take one to three you know, deep routes a game just to remind people just to, again, like keep the defense honest. Like I think so much of keeping a consistent deep game is about that is about stretching Mm -hmm. it out. So the defense can't just settle in and know where you're going. Yeah. But, and I think, I do think there, there's probably some element of easing him back in and I would expect him to stretch the field more in their upcoming games to end the season. But We'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, I like you said, I, I like him in the backfield too, but agreed. Uh, keep defenses honest. I think that'll benefit them in the long run. Okay, so this has all kind of been a precursor for what is emerging as just the most bankable, <laughs> crazy, entertaining matchup the league can provide each year, I guess. Like, I just... <laughs> They said on the broadcast, like, if you could just get a pay-per-view channel of Raleigh versus New York at this point, I think I would sign up for it. Like, if there is, like, a Red Zone channel of of just, like, possessions of these teams, uh, it was the game of the week, and and it started off a little slow. Like, both both teams weren't weren't playing their best ultimate to start the game. They were kind of taking weird swings at each other it felt a little bit like a drunken bar fight at the beginning where obviously there is the like the energy and the verve but there was just some misconnections and weird shots and i thought like a weird sense of management of like you know momentum from each teams um as they were sort of jockeying at the beginning but then you really start settling into the second half stretch and it's just it same thing as what happened in 2019. Like, just as the game progresses, the intensity just continues to ratchet up. And both these squads are so talented that the the players just go, oh, okay. And then continue to make more and more insane plays as the game progresses. Which is, you know, needless to say, amazing from a fan perspective. Yeah, um, we love that. I, I guess I want to start with what I thought raleigh did really well i thought that offensively they dictated really well throughout a lot of the game as we've seen their offense do um i still thought you know laviolette young's fairfax had pretty good game uh young's obviously i think having like maybe the best game uh sol yannick too he had 556 mm-hmm. total yards and 70 com- 74 completions on the game um just a rock in the backfield uh, I, I thought for as good as New York was playing as far as like going for takeaways, like I thought you saw the most aggressive Empire defense so far this year. Raleigh did a really good job of orchestrating long drives against it and punching home scores. Uh, and again, like I just kind of want to carve out a little space for Anders Jungst, uh, his midfield play alongside Alan LaViolette. Like they are just... They're kind of on a different level, I think, right now, as far as feel in the middle of an offensive unit. They're just, they don't make mistakes. They seem to always get the disc in the end zone. Like, they're so potent. It, it's not like their passes are just swings and stuff. It's like, if I have the disc in the red zone, I'm trying to get it in as quickly as possible. Like, there's no, there's no cute stuff from them. Uh, and that, that like, almost like violence <laughs> to their game 
you know, in no physical sense do I mean that, but just like in their attacking <laughs> mode, like it just adds an edge to Raleigh that I thought was so interesting to watch throughout the game as they continue to like pressure New York offensively. Um, but then to their credit, New York kind of responded throughout, you know, like it was just trading punches back and forth, especially down mm-hmm. the stretch. Um, what, what did you like, like what stood out for you in this matchup? Yeah, I mean, the I feel like the offense was every bit as impressive in this game as it was in their first meeting. And I talked a bit about, you know, the, the chemistry concerns I've had about Dallas. I think Raleigh probably has the most offensive chemistry of any team in the league. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I yeah, I think at this point, given that DC it just feels like had, everyone, everyone's always yeah. like, uh, you know, like a come back towards the mean a little bit since the early season yes. play and mm-hmm. and just doesn't again they don't have that pop that raleigh does like raleigh right with mitchell and fairfax i mean henry fisher was injured this weekend like can we take a moment to say that like he was he didn't plan friday and then he spot played a little bit on saturday he got a big layout block actually at one point but he was missing from their lineup and yet still Flyers looked very, very, very dangerous on offense. Yeah, it just feels like all of those guys are constantly cutting in rhythm. And like if they're stalling at all, like the handlers just know how to keep the disc moving and get in the best position possible. Also, Eric Taylor is such a nice, I forgot like how <laughs> how impactful he is anytime he's in the Flyers lineup because he, he's been injured. But getting him back, I mean, that was huge he had seven assists against new york he had that that beautiful no look throw in the red zone for the score uh to tie it yeah just getting guys like he's just like another one of those nice downfield hybrids that can also also extremely comfortable in the backfield i mean he was you know averaging 50 completions per game in 2019 so i feel like at this point in his young two-year career he's kind of played like every role you need him to play on the offense so just oh it's just so they just have so much versatility as a unit taylor Uh, yeah sorry i I, like no go ahead eric Eric taylor from a pure talent standpoint is a top 10 offensive player in the league if not top five like he yeah absolutely is on like an osgar like jack williams level of like you Obviously, you think of him as a thrower, but don't you dare think that he can't stretch the field as a receiver. He did it against Boston uh, in the second half. He had a big cut down the field that led to a score. Yeah, um, and he even showed flashes of that, plenty of flashes of it in 2019. Uh, oh, his, obviously, there was that, that huge, yeah, there was that huge double layout he had against Dallas. Uh, I think when they played New York, he had that that big, you know, sort of sky over Brownlee in the end zone where he just, he gets up as a receiver and yeah, just a phenomenal athlete that can really, really feels like he can do whatever he wants and he's always in the same rhythm as the rest of the offense. But yeah, like their whole line is made up of guys like that. So it's, it's impressive to watch. Um, I will say, yet, I mean, yet, <laughs> Raleigh kind of blew it. The, they blew it down the right? stretch. This Raleigh this team in clutch is just oh, I think uh, I even typed to you and Evan when they were up 
because I said <laughs> you going did. Into the weekend. You did. I said going into the weekend that I had full confidence that the Flyers were going to go two and zero, and I did. I really, I still really like this Raleigh team. And then, can I read? Uh, can I read your message that you sent to me and Evan? No, please. Really? Yes. God. All caps. Who was that smart and handsome pundit who said Raleigh was going 2-0 this weekend? And then an what's, hour what's later... The What's the timestamp? That was at 8.14 p.m. An hour so later... That was, that was probably... Where would that be in the game? <laughs> the game started at 6. That, that was probably, probably would have been in the first overtime, right? That probably would have been when they were up to... Had the disc and there were 30 seconds left in the first overtime. Yeah. Right. And we haven't talked about that specific situation. They... We can, Okay, they so had finish, this game. They had it won. dragging me. Finish dragging me. Okay, well, I just an hour later, after you sent the the smart and handsome pundit comments, you said, "Choked away by Raleigh again." Um, and but like you, I mean, obviously, you must have sent that in this specific situation when yeah, they had the disc up by two in overtime. How many seconds were left? Thirty seconds 36. left. Six. 36 seconds. 36 seconds left. on their own goal line. They basically... It's like, how do you... Clock. Yeah, it, it's like almost like, how do you not scores, win the game at like, that point? So, it, like, okay. Okay. Do we want to, <laughs> no, no, like, continue. do we want to go back and, like, talk about the game at all? Or do we do we just want to talk about this moment? Because I have a lot of thoughts about this moment. <laughs> Let's talk about this moment. I, okay. Yeah. So, Raleigh's up to 36 seconds left in the first overtime. They have the disc on their own goal line, and they're picking it up against a double team. You you punt. You punt in that situation, and, and you play defense because you're up two, right? Like, you you make them bleed clock against a zone or something, and, and you trust that the defense that's been playing pretty well all game against a good New York team can at least, like, muck it up for you, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm asking, like, I don't... <laughs> I'm well, I mean, and obviously hindsight is twenty twenty here. I think like, the I'm, other I'm, I'm legitimately pleading for like an explanation. Like No, the other the other thought right? obviously when you're trapped on the sideline, probably the, the hardest thing you could try to complete. Well not not always, but like launching it downfield is almost just giving the other team the disc. And with a team sure, but you're... as as high powered of an offense as New York has you are, you know, it's like giving Aaron Rodgers the ball when there's less than a minute That's left. That's true. And they need, and okay, they need a full field least, drive. You at least, like, get the disc out of that double team, and then you you maybe try the next throw. Because there's yeah. usually off of a double team, there's, like, that first, like, you could scuba out of it or, like, kind of get, like, one little cheeky throw into, like, dead right. space. The throw, the throw they it. chose was not a good choice. So what um, they chose was a cross-field hammer on the goal line, which... To be fair, to be fair, until that point in the game, Raleigh, like New York had been playing a couple roller double team defensive sets that had been working well, Mm -hmm. but Raleigh had hammered well out of those. Like Eric Taylor had picked it up a couple times and hammered out of a double team before that. And then Raleigh initiated their offensive looks and it was flawless. So I, I kind of understand yeah, Doing, you have com- you, you have confidence that, but, that it'll work because it's been working all game. But 
It wasn't a good hammer. No. So Ben Yat jumped the lane, almost gets a flying Callahan. <laughs> he kind of should have had a Callahan. That would have been man. A that was fun highlight. But I think it would have broke cool. Evan. <laughs> Evan was already way pitched up on the call about it being. I know we need we need an intact Evan, so it is probably for the best that he did but not. But Ben Yat gets the block on the crossfield hammer, like the the clock starts on the block right like i don't think any clock would have fled until the disc is knocked down so there's still 36 seconds left when bang yacht picks it up down two and then just immediately they get a score and now they're down one and then new york runs the exact same drop pull double team on the corner set and raleigh throws another Crossfield hammer. Uh, yeah. So sad. I feel. I just feel bad for Raleigh. Just considering everything they've gone through in the history I know, of the franchise. They played a good game. They, they really they did. They played a great game and they had it. And they, they almost... They lost in probably the most unlikely way that they could have. Like, based on the game situation. Is it unlikely at that point? Do you, Is that what you call it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it is weird because in 2019, I feel like they also, you know, maybe had a two-goal lead with, like, a minute left in the game. I think New York had the disc, and that might have been that, that like, really nice Ben Yacht um, inside-out flick that he had Connor Klein, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I just feel like they – it was just a – it was unfortunately a, a familiar situation of, of Raleigh seemingly having a game put away – and then just not not completing a single pass when they need to. So, so the second hammer gets slapped down by Ben Katz. New York goes on a fast break. There's less than 10 seconds left. Marquez Brownlee throws a really good blade to Ben Yacht. Who oh, yeah. I want to stop right there. I want to talk about that Brownlee throw. Like, I feel like that was maybe the most underrated throw in that sequence. Like, that was a just a beautiful high release outside in. It, it goes through... Anders Jungs is jumping up to try and get the point block on it, and it, it goes through his hands like an upright. Like, oh, like that, Anders yeah, Jungs, that was huge. Anders Jungs is super close to blocking the Brownlee high release, but instead it's just, like you're saying, like the most perfect little 20-yard carving shot to Yacht. Yeah. And with then eight Yacht's seconds throw. left. Yacht catches it with six. And then Jack Williams is just alone in space suddenly. <laughs> and I think it was, was it Henry Fisher that was on Yacht? And like he lays out for the hand block too. Like yes. having a six, yes. six guy lay out for a hand block. Like that's, they also had a chance of, of getting that one, but it goes underneath of Fisher's hand. So yeah. on back to back throws, New York gets off millimeters close to a hand block shots um but once again jack williams rips his former team's heart out uh in the first (laughs) overtime and then forces sudden death so it's the second time in two meetings between these two teams where it's gone to sudden death double overtime and then the second one it's pretty sloppy both teams have a possession to score um the fairfax throw was 
so upsetting. I saw what he, he wanted. I mean, yeah, he had he had his guy. It was I think he was targeting Fisher downfield, and he had him with steps, but he hucked it and it just floated like a turned ton. into a and duck. It just became a jump ball. Yeah, Jeff Babbitt slots it down, uh, and then New York just kind of initiates a, a grinder dominator handler set. Disc ends up in Jack's hands, and he shoots it twenty yards to Babbitt for the game winner. Uh, Such a nice throw inside. It was a nice throw. Second time Jack has now thrown a game winner (laughs) against Raleigh in double overtime. Where do you in their two in their two career meetings as franchises? I mean, Jack Williams's violence against basically Durham and uh, Chapel (laughs) Hill goes back a ways. Like he he broke. UNC dark side in college uh, in that semis game. That was like the game that launched Jack uh, when he had like 11 scores or whatever in the college semifinal. And he had like the game winning Huck assist uh, against a heavily favored UNC team. He plays for the flyers for his first three years in the league is a, you know, all AUDL talent leaves to go to New York. And now in both games, he throws <laughs> the assist. Like, you can't write this stuff. <laughs> no, you can't. Uh, he's and he's then he also comments a... on Instagram underneath of the post. I'm just trying to make Mike Denardis, Raleigh's coach, proud. <laughs> uh, well, I hope he. I hope he is proud. He he helped produce uh, an amazing player, and Jack has had a really good season. Uh, you know, even aside from these games, like he. I feel like coming into the year, it it was sort of like, you know, he was more of a, I guess, slightly more of a hybrid in, in 2019. And I feel like because Harper Garvey left this offseason and some other departures, like he's kind of had to take more of the reins on offense and just has like really been a rock for them consistently. Uh, hasn't really needed to do too much at any one time, but clearly has that take over the game ability. Uh, and yeah, he's completing 96.9% of his throws, just about 3000 total yards of offense. Now. I, I don't know. I feel like he's, he's playing at some of the best ultimate of his career. And it's not even like, I don't know. It just, it, it makes a lot of sense in the New York system. And I feel like it's, it's very different from the Jack Williams we saw in Raleigh, but it's still like just as deadly in a different way. Really? Because I feel like this is pretty close to who he was in 2018 with Raleigh. He had like 550 completions that year and was playing in the backfield a lot. Um, yeah, I guess it feels I, I feel like, like he was He was like there. Of... I, I don't know. I, I thought in 2018 he was more of like, like just, the, you know, their clear cut MVP do everything guy. Whereas in New York, it's more of a maybe more of a specific role that he's just filling extremely well, if that makes sense. But that role is do everything for that offense. I mean, he caught the the game tying goal in the first overtime and then threw the game winning assists in the second. He caught the game buzzer beater sky in week one. Yeah, uh, true. He's, he's just kind of like floated all over. Like I've talked about this with a couple people. I, who do you draft ahead of Jack Williams if you're constructing a team right now from square one? Do you draft anyone? I mm. I I tend to lean more and more towards 
if I'm just building the team, I'm taking Jack Williams overall number one. Given his body of work, given given how you can just do, you can roster build pretty much whatever you want off of him. Yeah, right. I mean, it just gives you well it gives you that versatility. But I, I still, I don't know. I'd still maybe lean with like kind of a a clear cut, you know, number one at their position kind of guy, like a Pavel or a Ben Yacht, for example. Like either getting the best cutter in the game or the best handler in the game, rather than a what if you guy. But I don't know. Together you, can... and you got Jack Williams. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do you feel like you feel like Jack Williams is, you know, like if he if he committed to being only a handler or only a cutter, like he would be the best at his position? Yeah, yeah, I I, like, yes, I think if Jack was just someone who you needed to throw goals to, I think he'd score 60 goals a year. Yeah, you know, he's yeah, he's shown that downfield. He's he's dominant in the air. You can't put one person on him downfield and just hope that it goes well like it won't he's right he's gonna get open like one of the reasons why they put him in the backfield i think is that the way the offense kind of constructs off of his play is the most optimized form of new york like watching him now in his second season when you go through like jack williams looks like your offense is what it's supposed to be do you know what i mean like it's not even just he has good numbers. He completes this many passes per game at this percentage or whatever. It's like you watch the games and it's like, that's the progression of people that the disc needs to be going through in that situation. And it's like every Mm -hmm. possession, you know, it's not just sometimes, you know, it's not like 80% of the time he's going through the right look. It's like, no, he's, it's like a Pavel level of no, he's making the right look every time we're initiating an offense and when you're that kind of mechanical going through your looks it just it makes playing defense against it so hard it's like what you were saying with like rogers it's like when you have those throwers or even those just players who can have that confidence just to sit back there and know what to expect at any given point in the stall as it comes yeah. at them. You can't it, do it. It's like when Neo starts guys. seeing the matrix, you know, like it's just how do you how do you really and you saw it with jack in the stretch of this this raleigh game where it's like how do you force him out of his rhythm he's the best player on the field in crunch time again you know like this isn't yeah it's not like a an out of nowhere thing it's a pattern like it's it's kevin durant type of stuff like he just rises to the level i don't know like i i hear what you're saying like i know like in a very real sense that yacht is more dominant i think like, I think that's maybe the yeah. word to use. I don't know exactly how to put it, but he has that he has that that presence. And he made some fantastic plays in the clutch of this game. Like he had that that pretty much bookends where he made a mistake and then got the hustle yeah, block on one end and then just ripped it out of the sky over two really good defenders <laughs> on the other end. And I think they got him for like a PMF for over celebration and like destroying a disc. But it was kind of one of those moments where it's like, eh, in this matchup, like you're allowed like one little, like yeah, we'll blow the disc it. up with a spike. Like he wasn't doing sure. it at anyone, I think, but not, not right, the best right. spirit, but like kind of like in the moment of competition, like makes a little sense. But anyways, Ben Yacht is obviously transformative to any lineup he's going to be in. Um, I don't know. I just 
it's one of those things like you just get reminded in a big game like this like oh yeah he's jack williams you know (laughs) yeah it was it was probably his best game of the season or at least most consistently impactful game of the season um and yeah i think he is he is probably the most dangerous hybrid in the league and the most versatile player i feel like that's a pretty easy claim to make yeah and you know just credit to it to the lineup around him too uh chartok and oh yeah ryan weaver returning to the lineup was both huge for them um they've been playing really really well as those balance pieces in the backfield with jack williams um Mm -hmm. chartok again finishing with a boatload of yardage uh 629 game high total yards it's no surprise (laughs) every week he's just a yardage monster um he's been really really good and i think he's only getting better and i think when they have him alongside weaver you really see how balanced and potent this sort of newer empire offense is over the the championship team that i think we're still sort of in the shadow of of 2019 you know like i think i think this game kind of removes the empire from that entirely i think this is sort of the like moment in which they're now this season's empire don't you like mm-hmm. that yeah that team went out there and beat like a different raleigh team in a different way at home like yeah they both teams very different from 2019 for sure uh, and i just yeah, feel just like... a lot of a lot of new pieces on both sides that right i mean both both those offense are just clicking like no one else right now and i just feel like all of a sudden chartok and weaver we've kind of always been like I, I don't want to put it this way, but I think it's sort of the unspoken thing of like, it's not Lindsley and Garvey, you know, like it's, different. yeah. But like sure. all the fun you're seeing now, like, yeah, it's different, but it might be just as good to what they're trying to do. Like it still sets the table for everything that they do with Osgar and Williams and yacht downfield. And that's, that's for the sure. New York offense that was always, you know, their championship level form. And, it's just really cool to see Chartok and Weaver, you know, grow into those roles and kind of this like high, high, high expectation team. Like that's that's hats off to them for sort of getting into that fulfillment space, you know? Yeah, definitely. And Weaver Weaver was injured for a chunk of the season. It was really Chartok carrying a lot of that load, a lot of the, the Harper Garvey role in the backfield, but yeah, you see what the two of them can do on the field together. Both guys over 450 throwing yards in that game against Raleigh. Uh, and yeah, it's it's very exciting to to watch a team like that fill those big gaps and, and kind of, like you were saying, develop their own identity throughout this season. And I think just especially given that there is so much in place from their championship team, it's 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 hard not to define yourself off of that, right? Like, the, yeah, they sure. did win the championship. Like, you, like I think in <laughs> right. any other situation, it's like, oh, well, they we're going to define our own thing here. Like, Yeah, whatever. well, and they, they also, fight, but like, they went undefeated. They completed they undefeated. the third perfect season <laughs> in AUDL history. So, like, yeah, we're going to compare that roster to this one. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I think that, yeah, they've just done a really nice job of making it their own now. Um Another just little like 
fact I love from this game. Ben Katz getting that huge point block on uh, Yannick in the second half. He had yeah. 234 total yards, 19 to 19, no turnovers uh, for the defense. Like that, that was huge. Uh, New York converting six to 13 of their defensive breaks, but just I think wearing having the ability to even like wear out. Raleigh's offense a few times on, on longer points that happened that really paid off down the stretch. I think that's part of why you maybe saw some of the, the late game struggles that the flyer experience was just having to go long, long points against a uh, empire counterattack that could maintain possessions. I hope Raleigh and New York meet in the playoffs. I want yeah. that so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all kind of hoping for that. So one last point, uh, just kind of going to the Atlantic and the playoff picture there. Uh, there were sort of three games that s- subtly shifted the the narrative that had been established, I think, with Atlanta winning against New York. You know, Atlanta was 8-1 and one going into Week 10. They have a home matchup against Tampa. And they blow it. They uh, <laughs> they lose at home. They lose 23 to 22. 21, uh, 20, 21 to 20. 21 to 20. Um, Cannons played really well offensively. They looked uh, the best they have all season offensively. But Atlanta has confirmed a playoff spot. But I, I really think this hustle team needs kind of like a home game in the playoffs. And with this loss all of a sudden, that kind of becomes perilous uh, because they lose and DC has a two-game road trip and they just take care of business and wipe the Phoenix and Thunderbirds off the field, respectively. Um, And now DC is 8-2, and so is Atlanta. Raleigh 7-3. New York with their win is 6-2. Hustle have two games remaining, but it's against DC and Raleigh, two teams that match up very well against the hustle um, dropping the kind of quote unquote gimme of this cannons game. I think it's, it's quietly like a, an Achilles blow for the hustle. Yeah. So actually there are two remaining games. They do play Raleigh this weekend, but their final game is actually against Pittsburgh. Oh, it is. Against uh, they Pittsburgh. do not. Yeah. They don't play DC again, but DC also plays Raleigh in the final week of the season. So we'll have matchups uh, with DC and Raleigh and Atlanta and Raleigh. I mean, yeah, if the Hustle lose to Raleigh, then they would also, if they lose by more than a goal, Raleigh would have the tiebreaker over them. They'd both be three lost teams on the year. Um, yeah, so I definitely think this this loss to the Cannons can shake things up. I mean, the top four teams in the Atlantic, you know, three of them have two losses and then the Flyers have three losses. Like it's very, it's very possible that all of them kind of end up with, I don't know, right around the same uh, nine and three record. Uh, so we'll see. I think New York also, like they're, they're not really a given to win out at this point, but they, they're honestly decently likely to to finish with a home playoff game at this point. Just taking on Phoenix, then Pittsburgh, then two games against Boston. Which, you know, again, far from gimmies. I think Boston could steal maybe one against them. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we're definitely we're at the point where obviously every game matters. Um, so, yeah, for Atlanta to lose, it's 
it's a shakeup for sure. I don't know. I think at this point, DC is probably favored for a home playoff game. Um, and yeah, it's really just going to come down to how DC and Atlanta play against Raleigh. DC is playing like they want that home playoff game. Like they, oh, they're, I know they're they have two losses, yeah. but they they look like they take care of business against the non-playoff teams better than any other team in the division. Like they are just wiping. Well, Raleigh has absolutely uh, destroyed most of them. Yeah, sorta. Not they're Boston. Comp- they're all. Boston I mean, DC. Really well, that's true. What DC does so well is that because of their, you know, like high completion per, per, uh, possession based approach on offense. Like if they can get off to leads early, which they often can because their defense is fantastic and they convert breaks like no other. Uh, they just kind of milk the clock the rest of the way. Like they just play time of possession, protect the lead, and they never really give their opponents a chance to come back in these games. Like right. against it's a Philly, really successful formula. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing when they go up early. Then we saw it. Uh, when they lost to Atlanta, that was it was the opposite was true. Like their their possession based approach didn't really allow them to come back in the game either. Um, but we saw against Philly, like DC completed over 350 throws, which is, I feel like has been like their average this year. Philly only attempted 185 throws. Uh, it's just like a complete complete opposites in time of possession every time the DC breeze around the field, and yeah, it's it they're able to just suffocate their opponents in this way. But I don't know. I mean, seeing them match up with Raleigh, uh, that was obviously an extremely close game. The first time they played and, and both offenses kind of have that level of efficiency where uh, I think I, I just expect another really back and forth game. Like it's going to be tough for DC to build an early lead and then just kind of put the clamps on Raleigh. I think it's going to be a lot more back and forth. 